Our scripture reading this morning is taken from the book of Exodus, starting in the, uh, in the fourth chapter, starting with the tenth verse. Moses said to the Lord, Pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, Who gave human beings their mouths? Who made them deaf or mute? Who gives who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. But Moses said, Pardon your servant, Lord. Please, send someone else. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses, and he said, What about your brother Aaron, the Levite? I know he can speak well. He is already on his way to meet you, and he will be glad to see you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. I will, help you, I will help both of you to speak and will teach you what to say and what to do. He will speak to the people for you, and it will be as if he were your mouth and as if you were God to him. But take this staff in your hands so that you can perform the signs with it. This is the word of the Lord. We're uh, taking up this series that I've called From Genesis to Nazareth. And uh, the idea is to look at some key uh, theological, it's a big word, but some key concepts and ideas, you'd say beliefs in Christian faith. Uh, We have looked at creation, two weeks on creation. uh, One first, uh, Genesis 1, the early verses. And then secondly, creation and humanity. We looked at God is present, that this faith is a positive faith. God saw that it was good, the concepts of blessing and abundant life. And then in terms of creation and humanity, the important Christian, uh, not only Christian, this comes from a Jewish text as well, but uh, the important Christian concept that we are created in God's image. And we mentioned last week that you can't get to the idea of sin and the fall and good and bad and right and wrong before you go through the fact that we're created in God's image. If you do, you get into all sorts of trouble. And some of you have grown up with a Christian understanding that kind of talked about sin uh, either before or a lot more than the idea that we're created in God's image. And you can see some of the problems in religion and in the world uh, when it's certainly in Christian religion when when we go about it in that way. We're created in God's image and therefore we're called to see this in one another. And then our primary call... Uh, is to love one another. And then, of course, with our Lord Jesus Christ, we're shown the fullness of that love. So today we get to Moses, and I want to give a note on the series that um, uh, you you see we've skipped over a pretty important Christian concept, and that's uh, right uh, pretty soon after creation in Genesis, the story of the fall and sin. And so for those of you who are saying, what, we skipped over sin? I want to get to sin. Don't worry, we're going to do like two weeks at least just focusing on sin. And so at that time, um, is it next week? Oh no, next week is Thanksgiving and we're going to look at one of the most obscure scripture passages in all of the Bible. So bring your friends for that because what we're going to address is, um, is what we believe uh, crazy. Uh, it's not, by the way, so I can, I can tell you that. But... Uh, uh, it will uh, be an interesting go next week. And then two weeks from now, 
uh, we're going to begin to look at sin. And so uh, I'll tell you the worst things about yourselves and me too uh, in a couple of weeks. Uh, You think you might know what they are now, but trust me, they're worse. Um, But always in this positive light, positive faith. So today we're looking at sovereignty. Sovereignty is an interesting concept to talk about theologically, particularly to talk about in our culture, because when we say things like God is sovereign, right away you're faced in this world with the, with the, the reality that lots of people don't think God is sovereign. So you take a statement like, Jesus is Lord over all the earth. Now, how did I just say that and how did I experience it? I experienced it in worship. I said it as a theological statement. But what if I was saying that to one of my non-Christian friends? How would I say it then, and how would it feel? Would it feel like a statement that's saying, Jesus is Lord over all the earth, and they're hearing, Todd thinks that he's right and I'm wrong. Which, in some ways, is true, okay? But that's not the primary, that's not the heart of that declaration. My declaration of faith, not opposition, right? Or at least, not, um, not that I'm treating my friend as an opponent. But this is a declaration of my faith. I believe that Jesus is Lord over all the earth. What do we mean by sovereignty? What do we mean that God is God over all? I'm going to come at it in what might be an interesting way to you. I hope it's interesting. I hope you're engaged in it. By asking you first, what are the obstacles in your life? Now, you notice with the question, I didn't say to what, obstacles to what. Most people now think that the goal is happiness. That's a, that's a very thin goal, by the way, because it's very fleeting. And we know in studies, research, and whatever else, and just, you know, in experience, that the number one way to ensure that you don't get happiness is to chase happiness. But when I say, what are the obstacles in your life, the the two question, obstacles to what, people would think, well, peace, happiness, security, maybe meaning, hopefully there's a little more maturity than, than just happiness. So what are the obstacles in your life? I know what they are already, and I'll tell you what they are. The first one is circumstances. So list what your circumstances are that are obstacles. It might be that you face some kind of physical limitation. It might be that you face, uh, you're, you don't find that you're or feel that you're as intelligent as somebody else. It might be that you were born in this place as opposed to that other place. Whatever your circumstances are, there can be in those circumstances blessings and opportunities for you, and there'll be some that you think of as obstacles. So your circumstances are obstacles, and I think you would all nod your head and say yes. Here's the second one, though, you feel even more. People are obstacles to you. Now, this can be true in your Christian faith. I would grow and experience God so much more if only it wasn't for so-and-so or these other people around me. I would find the career that I need if only it wasn't for so-and-so and and the people who got that job when I didn't. Or or we could find peace if it wasn't for so-and-so or I could get off the North Shore if so many people didn't live here. They are the obstacles to me getting to downtown Vancouver without having to sit on the cut for an hour and a half or whatever it is. So from minor things to major things, we, we, we feel as if other people are obstacles. But of course we know that other people can be blessings as we seek peace, happiness, and even um, maybe status. If you're a little more mature, you'll, you'll also note 
that the obstacles in your life may be the biggest one. This, is, this takes maturity, though, to get here. That one of the biggest obstacles in your life may be the biggest is you. And some people would nod their heads and go, I know that full well. And others were going, what do you mean? <laughs> uh, some will know the song I'm quoting when I say, if only I had an enemy bigger than my apathy, I could have won. I, in the end, become sometimes the biggest obstacle. This is an important question as we look at sovereignty, because the sovereignty of God is something that I want you to understand, not simply as, actually, not. I don't even want you to go there too quickly in any way. I don't want you to go that sovereignty of God means we're right and other people are wrong. My interest for you understanding the sovereignty of God is what does God's sovereignty mean in your life in your circumstances, and with the people with whom you live. There's no point talking about sovereignty as a disconnected concept, as like our faith wins and the others lose. That's not where it's going to find its currency. Your understanding of the sovereignty of God will first and foremost find its currency in how you live. And that's why we turn to Moses. The Moses story is a big story in Scripture. Moses is uh, a very uh, key character in the story that is played out in the Old Testament. And, of course, the story of the Israelites moving from slavery in Egypt to freedom in the Promised Land is one that, without understanding that, you won't fully or even uh, understand to a large degree the story of salvation in Christ. You'll constantly hear references to land, to blessing, to promise, And it used as a template is this story of Moses leading God's people from slavery to freedom. Moses' story, quickly. He was uh, born a Hebrew, a slave, an Israelite. At the time when there was this decree, you know about it, there's reflections to the story of Jesus Christ and his birth, right? Because at the time of Moses' birth, there was a decree in the land. The Pharaoh, the king of the land, had said, there's too many of those people, slaves, actually wouldn't probably have said people, didn't really think of them as people, they were from another country. Uh, And so uh, they were down here. There's too many of them now, so we must do away with some. And issued this decree that all of the young boys, uh, if a boy was born, then the midwives who helped deliver that child would make sure that that boy was killed. And you know the story of Moses, that Moses is survives this decree because the midwives stand against this decree of of the king and Moses is hidden for a few months and then and then he's taken you know the, now you get the Sunday school stuff right put in the basket and put and Pharaoh's daughter finds Moses floats down the river and Moses is given a name by those who take him out of the river now he'll be raised in Pharaoh's household and that's where Moses gets his name from the Egyptians now are you listening about God's sovereignty The Egyptians, these ones who will oppress God's people in these stories, they are the ones who give Moses his name. It's, I believe, Pharaoh's daughter who names Moses. I'll call him Moses, which means drawn out. What did she mean? Drawn out of the river. But God was sovereign, and there was a larger drawing out to happen. Sovereignty is all through this story. Moses is raised in this life of privilege, He becomes a leader himself in the land of Egypt. 
and he is one day, you know the story, he's out, um, and the slaves are, are working, and he notices a particularly difficult, troubling, oppressive interaction between an Egyptian taskmaster and a Hebrew slave. And Moses then, as the story goes, stands up uh, against the Egyptian taskmasters and even kills one and buries his body in the sand in the desert. But people find out and Moses has to run now out into the desert away from this place that had been the place he'd known for his whole life. One of the ways to look at this story, and I want you to see it first through Moses before you get to yourself. I know you want to get to yourself really quickly. So do I. One of the ways that you look at this story is that Moses finds himself in a place where he couldn't have imagined that he would be. And it's not a place that he would choose. Can you hear me? Moses finds himself in a place that he could not have imagined that he would be, and it's not a place of his choosing. Now go to you. Translate that by the presence of the Holy Spirit into your life. That's why I asked the question, what are the obstacles in your life? Because the obstacles in your life and how you conceive of them, how you picture them, will also affect uh, the way that you understand God's sovereignty. Moses is in this desert place. The desert will figure, as you know, a great deal in Moses' life. And he establishes a life there. He marries and he has what many would think of as a small life. And then he has this encounter in Exodus chapter 3 and chapter 4 with God in the burning bush. One thing to know about these places, these places where we don't expect to be and wouldn't choose to be, is that we could label them in many ways places where nothing happens, or at least nothing good. So if we think about obstacles and where we'd like to be in the world, these are places where nothing good can happen. All I can do here is maybe survive. And Moses was in one of those places and seemed to some degree to be accepting his so-called lot in life. The action is back in Egypt. The action in your life or in the world in which you live is somewhere other than the place you find yourself. You feel cut off from that which you thought you would have in life. God is working somewhere, but maybe not so much in your life that feels small. It's that feeling, that feeling is why this is a story that shows us what the sovereignty of God means. I'm telling you, if you try to understand the sovereignty of God as something like, as I told you, our religion's right and others are wrong, I I mean, on the surface I can say, yes, we do believe this exclusively. But I'm telling that you can't understand or talk about God's sovereignty if you don't start from a place of saying, how did I find myself here? And where are you now? Now you can start to talk about sovereignty. Now you can have a mature conversation about sovereignty. Now you won't be a pain in the such and such to people when you use the term. How did I find myself here? And what do you have for me? Now, I also want to say that what God had for Moses, he won't necessarily have for us. We're not all Moses, though we are to learn from this story. There's a, there's a key, um, before I get to the three points I have on sovereignty, you can't understand this story without understanding what God does early in this conversation. 
Moses is tending the flock. It's an ordinary day. And we're told in Exodus chapter 3, at the beginning of the chapter, we didn't read that this morning, that an angel of the Lord appeared to Moses in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And so some people want to talk about, you know, what actually happened with that bush and how that... I mean, it's not the first concern. There is a theophany. There is an appearance of God in the form of a bush that Moses sees. He he notices it so much that the scripture says, he says to himself, I had better turn aside from what I'm doing and engage with the presence of God. The most important thing for you is not to know what actually the bush was like or whether a bush can burn up and not actually be consumed. Though in God's economy, anything can happen, of course, miraculous. But for you as a person and me as a person, the most important thing to understand is that Moses had a lot of things that he had to do in his day, even though he found himself not where he had chosen to be. And like you, he could have just continued in the activities of his day, or he could say, I must turn aside. Now, many of you have not cultivated in your lives the ability to turn aside and listen to God. What you're asking from God is for God to bless all these activities you're involved in. But I don't know if a burning bush appeared if you would see it. I know sometimes in my life I have that struggle. But I'm careful to say, you know, I'm right in there with you. Except I'm going to put, you know, and some people here do have that ability. But I'm going to put a bit of a division here. By God's grace, this is something that that I'm sure I miss God more often than I see God, but that by God's grace I have said, Lord, teach me to turn aside. And some in any place like this have not cultivated that. And you're simply saying, well, bless me, God, bless me, God, bless me, God, you're going about your business. Moses turned aside. God introduces himself to Moses, which is fantastic. By the way, God always has to introduce himself to you every time you speak. I mean, sometimes you just know it's him, but he is so strong, powerful, and other that there's the time, you know, oh, you know, don't be afraid. There's always this introduction. And God says, don't come near to the bush, like, I, like Moses was going to, go and, you know, touch the fire or whatever, I don't know. Don't come near, there's that idea that this is holy. And then God says, I have seen, I have heard, and I have come down. Please hear that. I have, I have heard the cries of my people. I have seen the anguish that they're facing in Egypt. And I have come down. Now, to a large degree, nothing has happened yet. The people are still slaves. They're not free. But God is speaking as if they have already been redeemed, delivered. I have seen, I have heard, and I have come down. This is a declaration of sovereignty. And then in verses 5 to 12 of chapter 4, God, or is it chapter 3? I've got, uh, God outlines, it is chapter 4, it doesn't matter, you can look it up. God outlines and names the circumstances in Moses' life and in the Israelites' circumstance, picture, uh, scene. So God says, I have seen, I have heard, and I have come down. And then he's going to say, Pharaoh, Egypt. He's going to name circumstances of present, and then he's going to name circumstances of the future. You will be brought to a new land, and there will be Canaanites. What's a Canaanite? These other people. In other words, God is declaring, I am the God of the past and the present and the future. You hear God's sovereignty in this. 
And God says, I am with you and I know you. Now, I'll get to this at the end of the sermon because it'll be a spiritual exercise for you for the week. But just to prime the pump on it, uh, this is a spiritual exercise you can take up in your own life is is to hear God speaking the circumstances that you have named. Whatever they might be. And here's what he does for Moses. If you could hear God speak the circumstances and challenges of your life, would that be enough of an answer to prayer, or do the circumstances have to change? It's a curious question. It is enough at times for us to know, I am with you. Will you heal me? Yes, I will heal you. I am with you. Will you heal me? A mission is given to Moses, and the outcome is given as well. I will send you back to my people, and you will bring my people out. God tells him how it's going to end before it begins. It'll work. You'll have victory here. And then Moses' reply is simply this. Well, that's it, but uh, we'll get to it in a second. Moses says, if you, if you translate what he's saying here, and you put it in our terms, Moses is saying, look, you might know me. But I barely know you. I don't even know what to call you. And you're going to send me back to my people and I'm going to say, we're going to be led out of Egypt. And they're going to say, you're crazy? And you claim to know God? Look, God, would you give me a name so I can tell them this is his name? And that's where you get to tell them that I am. They don't even know your name. The truth for us as we begin to seek to understand God's sovereignty is that we understand it, uh, the, the disconnect, as that, that God does not know us. You understand what I'm saying? He doesn't know my circumstances. He doesn't know the people, what I'm dealing with. He must not know because he seems so distant. The starting place for Moses as he begins to be taught about God's sovereignty is to realize that the, the first important truth is that he barely knows God. Now I'll throw myself in with all of us and say, I barely know God. And some of you, in all honesty, would say, I feel like I barely know God. And it's growing in that relationship and knowledge with God that helps you to understand his sovereignty. So here's what Moses says. And I hesitated to put an exclamation point there because he doesn't always say it with an exclamation point. You know, like, the, like when, you're, when you're working, when you're living with God, you say, I can't do it, God! Sometimes that's how you say it. But let's be honest, a lot of times you just go, I can't do it. Right? Maybe more of this one with no exclamation point at all where it would just go at the end. So there's a little, you can take that one in and out. I didn't want to add special effects to it. Moses has three I can't do it statements that are present in here. Things that he's going to do in this conversation with God. The first one is this, and you do it too. I know you do. Firstly, Moses is going to remind God of his own circumstance, of Moses' circumstance. So Moses' I can't do it starts with saying, look, they won't believe. You might not know, but God, these are the people that I'm dealing with, and these are the circumstances that I'm dealing with. God says to get a meeting together, and this is what will happen. And Moses says, hang on a second. Before you start laying out the agenda and the plan, I need to tell you, it's not going to work. Keep in mind who Moses is speaking with. 
which would be idiocy and lunacy and crazy. And we could laugh at Moses and say, he's so silly, which is nice in a church, but I'm telling you, you do the same thing all the time, and so do I. God, let me remind you of the circumstances of my life. You came here with this plan, but it's not going to work. You need to get with reality. They won't listen. Our lack of understanding of God's sovereignty is is demonstrated in the fact that, and it makes sense, I mean, we're people, I'm not condemning us for this, but what directs our thoughts and emotions and feelings are our most immediate circumstances. So our perception, our emotion, our outlook is directed mostly, and this stands for Christians as well as non-Christians, is the default place is that we, we, we react to the circumstances. So Moses is reminding God of that. God is already well past that. Our actions, we can consistently act as if God is not sovereign. And now it's so easy for the minister to say, you people, so I'll do it. What's sovereign in our lives are bank accounts, whether we have real estate or not. And some people are made to feel like, oh, you really don't have it together if you don't or whatever. It's crazy. What's sovereign in our lives are savings, Right? The market, the market in our world is considered much more sovereign than God, obviously. Now, I could test you on this. I mean, I just, I'm not mean, though. And I guarantee you could do this to me, too. Because our lives consistently look as if that which is sovereign are these things. That's where we'll find our security. That's where we'll find our peace. Education, ability, experience. Youth, some people feel when they lose their youth or they grow older that it's such a terrible loss. These circumstances. So the first I can't do it is that Moses reminds God of the circumstances. The second, and this is a bit of a um, not proper way of saying it, but I, I wanted to put it like I feel it. Moses reminds God, people, they be like that. So he goes from the circumstances to the people. It's mixed up in the text, but I, I want to draw both out. There's two key groups of people in the story that God and, and Moses have in mind in this conversation. There are the slaves themselves, the Israelites, and there are the Egyptians, represented by Pharaoh. And the truth, as we look at people in our lives, as we consider what God is doing in our lives and guiding us and leading us and growing us, is that these two groups of people pose different kinds of threats. Often, the the more dangerous one is the first one. The people who are with us, on our side, in our community, part of our group. Those who are supposed to be with you can be, you ready for the truth? They can be a terrible downer. I mean, I experienced this in my youth, and really growing in faith, really interested in growing in the Christian faith and looking around, and most of my friends didn't seem to care. And in my zeal as a, as a young person, I would probably condemn that, you know, what's wrong with them. But in any, in any group, when you begin to understand God's direction and presence, when you feel the life, salvation that's in God, the people around you, including some of the ones you love the most, will at times be a terrible downer. It's possible. And Moses says to God, these people aren't going to listen. My people aren't going to listen. And the second group are those who are 
who are explicitly against you. Those who would take you out, and I'm thinking of Moses, with no hesitation whatsoever. Those who would, that's why Moses ran in the first place. He's been identified as not who they thought he was, not the Egyptian that they thought he was. He's on the wrong side now. And there are those, in this case the Egyptians, who would take you out with no hesitation. Moses is aware of this. And even if all of this is happening, like he's actually experiencing God's presence in this burning bush, Moses is basically saying to God, look, I have to go back to the real world, to these actual people. And they're not going to react in a positive manner. Even if you feel compelled, sometimes the people in your own group, your own church, your own family, and this isn't that we should be people of division. It's to understand the truth that they can be, can bring you down. It's possible to say that they're just a pain, but also, and I think it's clear in this story, here this is a, this is a much deeper theological point, so I hope we can get it. It's not just that, all oh, those terrible people, they're such downers. It's that those people cannot imagine an alternative to the world they're living right now. You see how they're not enemies? Why would they oppose Moses? Because Moses, give your head a shake. Nothing has happened for hundreds of years and nothing's going to happen. God is not saying you go and you oppose those people and beat them down. God is giving Moses the task of imagining an alternative. Moses, I'm telling you, I will bring you out. It's faith that he needs. It's understanding God's sovereignty that he needs. And some of you have that call on your life. Don't get frustrated with those people. Imagine the alternative yourself. Knowing God's sovereignty draws us to be a positive people of faith. The prophet Isaiah, how lovely on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, proclaiming peace, announcing news of great happiness. Our God reigns. Now, when were those words spoken? As the people were on their way into exile. But the prophet imagines the alternative. Abundant life. There's a need in our world. Our need is not to cajole, to cajole or to argue people into the kingdom. Our need in a world that sees so much negative is to understand the positive fullness of salvation in Christ and present this before the world, that we are people of hope. My eyes are so often on the immediate and people they do be like that. But God is sovereign. Oh, that I could see it. And if I can see it, then maybe some of you will see it. And if you can see it, then maybe some of your family members will see it. I can't do it. Number three is self-doubt. Moses says to God, I can't do it. And then the great statement, you've got the wrong person. So maybe the burning bush was for another shepherd walking by. Moses reminds God about, firstly, his circumstances. Moses reminds God, secondly, about people. And now, finally, Moses reminds God about Moses. And you do the same. God, you got the wrong one. This is a, a misunderstanding of God's sovereignty 
talked about it a few minutes ago, but it's Moses saying to God, you don't know me. May I remind you of my weaknesses? And he starts the list. And, of course, the key part in this context is that Moses is saying, and I love the language here, I'm not a good speaker, I'm slow of tongue. I know people who are fast and good at at speaking in front of other people and inspiring them, and I am not one of those people. Now, what's God's response? Now, I, I think of this in our world. I think often in our world today, the response of people would be, I can't do this. And so often in the world today, our response is, oh no, you're the best. You're wonderful. Just look at Facebook comments, for those of you who are on Facebook. I mean, the most damaging Facebook comments, I think, are ones that just tell people how great they are sometimes. They're dealing with an actual problem. I feel like I can't speak. No, you're really good. And maybe in the back of your mind, you're thinking, they're not very good. God doesn't just say, Moses, no, 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 no. You're actually a great speaker. I've heard you a few times. That one time you gave that lecture, and it was fantastic. You're a good speaker. You just have to have more faith in yourself. God doesn't say that. That would be a response of human sovereignty. You're better than you think. God doesn't say that. God doesn't talk about whether Moses is a good speaker or a bad speaker. He simply says this. "Uh, I'm going to use you to do this. And then he says this wonderful thing. It's in the ESV. It's not in the translation we read from the front here this morning. God says, and I love the language, Moses, I will be with your mouth. I'm not a good speaker. It's almost if God goes, I know that, Moses. But I'll be with your mouth. You see how that's a statement of sovereignty? God's sovereignty is as high as the highest heaven and right down to the level of your physical body. Moses, I will be with your mouth. High and grand and intimate. I'm not good at this. See, the funny part about this is in our world, I think, you know, you you rewrite the story in 2015 and you might have people going, yeah, I'm a good speaker. So it's a good thing you signed me up because I'm really good at it. You might have that response. Because I, uh, I, I spoke one time at my school and they told me it was really good or my mom thinks I'm an awesome speaker. <laughs> it's the same answer. Did you know that? It's the same answer as I'm not good at this. They're both focused on I. That's why God doesn't just comfort Moses and say, no, you're a really good speaker, Moses. You're better than everybody else. And God just lets it go by. Or I'm really good at this, which is a, a, that's a more terror-filled statement when people say that. And so with that in mind, I say this, and I know it's difficult for you to hear maybe. Maybe God is less interested in your gifts than you are. What? Discover your spiritual gift. I believe you have spiritual gifts. I believe you don't do enough to seek God's presence in talents and abilities in your life but I believe that your spiritual gifts are first and foremost about God, not about you. And so if you find yourself saying things like, and by the way, this hasn't happened here recently, it will, but it hasn't recently at least. I just, you know, I'm in this place and I don't feel like I can use my gifts. 
that's a little bit of giveaway that you might be more self-focused than God-focused. God isn't interested in whether Moses is a good speaker or not. God is telling Moses what's going to happen. God's sovereignty now, as we understand it finally, and I know it's a big jump, but we're going from Genesis to Nazareth. God's sovereignty, you cannot understand it in Christian terms without understanding it in Jesus Christ. What Jesus Christ has done has altered the world and all history. It is done. It is finished. Jesus Christ has given his life for the life of the world and has altered all. Our fundamental struggle with God's sovereignty is that we don't see this faith in Christ. We see even this as something that, well, that might help me. Do you understand? If I have more faith in Jesus, then maybe I'll feel better in these circumstances and with these people. This is one of those higher declarations. What Jesus Christ has done, he has done for the life of the world. Of course it reaches intimately to you, but it is about more than you. And so you take the communion that we'll share this morning. This is the body of Christ broken for you. Do you see how your trust in salvation in Jesus Christ is trust in God's sovereignty? This is the cup representing the blood of Jesus Christ poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. You take this as an act of trust and faith. But so often we don't even believe this. Waking up to God's sovereignty, the first step for Christians is this, that we would wake up to say, whatever else is happening in my life today, whatever the circumstances, whatever the people and the obstacles that I face, I put my faith in you. You have done this for me. Now lead me. And when you do that, you stop reminding God of your circumstance. You pray. You stop telling, trying to tell God how things really are. And your eyes are open to how things really are in Christ. I have seen, I have heard, I have come down. Here's the spiritual practice that you would name in your life, but that you would hear in prayer. God's speaking. Some of those very circumstances that you struggle with, what God has done is for the life of the world. May we, in our living, seek to understand God's sovereignty, not merely in our thinking, but in our living. I've asked um, Allison to come up uh, and share with us. We, we uh, on occasion, uh, Grace was up here a couple of weeks ago, and we'll have more people, and and I know Allison leads us in worship often, so I thought, well, you know, do we need somebody who isn't always up here and whatever? And I thought, no, I prayed and thought, Allison has a, is in a place right now um, where she's dealing with some of these questions of sovereignty. And she uh, willingly obliged, and so come and share with us before we sing. take communion. Um. A few weeks ago, I spoke about some of the health struggles that I've been having and how trusting God has been more of an exercise than a feeling for me. Um, like said, like Todd said, he asked if I'd be willing to elaborate a little bit. Um, here I am. Uh, almost three years ago, I was diagnosed with ulcerative colitis, which is an autoimmune disease uh, which causes inflammation and ulcers in the large intestine, and I've spent... 
I spent two years seeing a lot of doctors and trying a lot of different treatments. Um, and I began to have some relief last fall, and I was deemed in remission in June. Um, I'm no longer in remission. Um, my disease has affected my life in ways I never would have imagined when I was first diagnosed. And it's been really easy to fall into thinking of what the last few years have cost us in terms of finances and my ability to work, um, having more kids, and what I fear I've missed out on with the kid we already have. Um, the news of my remission in June felt like emerging from a two-and-a-half-year fog. I felt as if I could begin to move on with life. And when I became symptomatic in August, I prayed and hoped that it was a bump in the road and it would pass. Um, but this has not been the case. I'm back in the thick of doctor's appointments, treatments, and side effects once again. And I've spent much of the last two months crying out to God, feeling cheated by my two-month window of remission, and wondering how he could throw me back into this again so soon. I'm not someone of great faith, and in fact, I often feel quite the opposite. Um, I feel as if the last few years have forced me into trusting God. Many aspects of my life that I thought I had control over were very clearly removed from my hands. I've said to Keith that it often feels as if the floor has been pulled out from under me and I don't know where safe footing is, and nothing feels safe or certain. And yet, when I feel forgotten and doubt God's goodness, I somehow eventually come back and I don't really know how that happens. More often than not, it takes longer than I care to admit, um, but I can't seem to leave, and ultimately I know that I don't want to. Um, silver linings are a concept that I struggle with, um, but I can't help but recognize the ways that God has been good to our family in this time. I believe that we were brought here at this point in our lives because there was family and community, community support here that wasn't in Abbotsford and support that we had no idea how desperately we would need. I wish I could say that my circumstances have changed, that I'm getting better, but the truth is that I'm not. There doesn't seem to be an end in sight, and I think that's a lot of why Todd asked me to speak, because it can be easier looking back at how God has been sovereign and has seen you through difficult times when they're over than it can be while you're in the midst of them. I can't look back at this chapter of my life yet and see God's faithfulness in the completion of it, but I can and I must cling to the idea that God is in control, that he is good, and that his faithfulness to me is not dependent on my circumstances. And now you have to go lead us in singing. <laughs> Thank you, Allison, so much. And uh, we come now at a time to share communion together. And it's the reminder, by the way, that in this, um, one of the best things to remember about Moses, this should have been in the sermon, so it's going to be the last mini point now, is that um, he didn't get it right at the end. He barely believed. He, it says God's anger was kindled against him, but it didn't seem too harsh because God's anger was kindled against him. And then God said, how about we try Aaron? Aaron can help you. And so Moses stumbles away with a faith that's pretty realistic, and God uses him. So we're in this together, and we share this communion together, trusting in what God has done for us in our Lord Jesus Christ. We say this communion is for us the reminder that Jesus Christ has saved us from our sins, that our trust is in him, not in ourselves. You take the body, the bread which is broken for you, and you take the cup, 
poured out for the forgiveness of our sins. We say this communion is for anyone who knows Jesus Christ or would like to. It's a table of inclusion for us, not of exclusion. And so we share this communion remembering what Jesus Christ has done for us. Let's pray. Bless this time, we would ask, and show us, Holy Spirit, what only you can show us. That in our Christian faith, we cannot understand maybe anything of sovereignty without centering, focusing, Lord Jesus, on what you have done for us. So, Holy Spirit, would you speak to us in this time where we take communion together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.